Lord, we uh, thank you for our moms, for their love, sacrifice, and impact they have and continue uh, to make on us. And Lord, we, um, we want to pray for those who are pregnant and for their health, uh, their health and the health of their babies. And we want to lift up moms who are still in the trenches of raising children. Lord, we want to celebrate the moms whose, whose grown children are thriving. And uh, Lord, we thank you for, the blessing, for blessing those moms who have grandchildren. And we also thank you, Lord, for foster moms and mentor moms and spiritual moms. But Lord, we also want to lift up those for whom this is a painful day, for those who uh, struggle with infertility, for those who have broken relationships with their children, for those who have lost children, for those who have broken relationships with their mom, for those who have lost their moms. We ask you to give each of them the comfort they need this day. Again, Lord, we thank you for the blessings you have given us through our mothers. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Before we uh, read the scripture of the morning, I just want to give you some background leading up to the passage. Uh, we're going to start reading 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse um, 10. I want to give you the verses that come before that in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, there's a man named Elkanah who had two wives, uh, Penina and uh, Hannah. Penina could have children, Hannah could not. And Hannah lived in deep anguish because of her infertility. And the family would travel every year uh, to the house of the Lord to worship. And um, in this particular instance, Hannah goes to the house of the Lord to plead with God. And at the time that she does that, the priest who was serving in the house of the Lord at that time was a priest named Eli. Uh, we've asked Steve Wills to uh, come and read the scripture of the morning. So Steve, if you can make your way on up uh, to the podium. And we ask everyone who's able, please stand as Steve comes on up. And uh, we read from the center of the room as a reminder to us where scripture is to be in our lives. It is to be central, both uh, in our individual lives, our family lives, and as a community of faith. And we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so, Steve, uh, whenever you're ready, please read from 1 Samuel chapter 1. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord. Hannah replied, I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. 
Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I ask the Lord for him. When her husband, Elkanah, went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah, a flower, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and for the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Sometimes because we hold scripture in such high esteem, we um, are, are tempted to not really question it or we're, we shy away from questioning things that come up in scripture that seem odd or weird or strange. But this particular story, it really begs a few questions and I wanna unpack uh, three of them. Uh, and, and just beginning, first of all, there's really something that really sticks out as odd in this story, and I don't know if you thought it was odd as well, but Hannah wants a son, and so asks God for one. And then she promises to give the son back to God, which she does. She gives her son to God. So at the end of the story, she still doesn't have a child to raise. That's just kind of weird. Why? So the question is, why ask for a son only to give that son away? You're no better off. You're right back where you started. If you really wanted a son, why would you make that vow? In verses 10 and 11, we, again, you see it right at the beginning of the story. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And then at the very end of the story, she does exactly what she, what she promised. She said to him, pardon me, Lord, as surely as you live. I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now, if I'm talking with Hannah, my thought is, well, Hannah, that's great. You fulfilled your vow. But why did you make that vow in the first place? Because you still don't have a son. So what did you gain? You didn't gain anything. Why ask for a son and then promise to give him away? You know, she did something that really didn't benefit her. But if you think about it, 
Uh, we all do things from time to time that don't necessarily benefit us. And why is that? Just a couple examples of how we do that. Uh, one is this whole idea of wanting to leave an inheritance for your children, right? This is something many of us value, of wanting to leave an inheritance for our children. Now, that's a noble thing. That's a good thing. But if you think about it, it really doesn't make sense because you work your whole life to earn money and you save and you sacrifice. You should be the one to enjoy it, right? Why give it to your descendants? Now, I can hear, I can hear the children and grandchildren in the room. Pastor Chuck, what are you trying to do to us? Stop it, okay? Don't give them any ideas. But there's this instinct that we have that we should pass something on to our children when we die. Why is that? Why do we have that instinct? Or another example is uh, teachers. You know, teachers, you spend so much time acquiring knowledge. You need a bachelor's degree just to become a teacher. That's four years of post-secondary education that isn't cheap to get. And then you have to adapt to all the different ways that children learn and then all the sacrifices and headaches that come with teaching. And you are never, ever going to get rich teaching. It just isn't going to happen. But when you ask teachers, they will tell you that teaching is a really fulfilling profession. Why is that? How can teaching be fulfilling when you really don't get the same return on what you give to become a teacher and to be a teacher? And there's lots of examples like this. If you ever coach a kid's sports team or you volunteer at a place like the Mustard Seed or here at TFRC, we routinely make sacrifices for things that don't directly benefit us. And that really doesn't make sense because we don't get an equal return on our sacrifice. Psalm 127 says that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. The psalm says, unless the Lord builds it or watches over it, whatever we do is done in vain. But you see, we want our lives to have purpose. To exist for the sake of existing is empty. We have this innate desire to be a part of something bigger, something bigger than just us. And that's why we sacrifice for things that don't directly benefit us because we want to be a part of a grander purpose. Now, Psalm 127 mentions children. And in Hannah's time, in that time, in that culture, a woman's path to meaning was children. 
Now, that's not true today. There are other ways for women to have meaning other than having children, and that's a good thing because while parenting needs to be raised as a cultural value, not everyone is meant to be a parent, and that's okay. And since this is a story about having children, I don't want those of you who aren't parents to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying the only way to have meaning is to have kids, but I'm just pointing out that in that time and in that culture, a woman's path to meaning was children, and ha- or was having children, and having kids meant being a part of something bigger than yourself. And so for Hannah, having a child and giving that child to God gave her a greater sense of purpose, a sense that in the eternal scheme of things, she mattered. Do you want to matter? in the eternal scheme of things. Because unless the Lord builds it or watches over it, whatever we are doing is done in vain. Fame may set you apart. Riches may secure your comfort. A career may give you success. But only God can give you eternal significance. Only God can give you eternal significance. And that's what Hannah was looking for. Significance. Do I matter? And while her barrenness was telling her no, God said, I can work with Hannah. And so he gives her a son. Samuel. And what's significant about Samuel is that at the time of his birth, the nation of Israel was not a nation. It was simply a group of tribes. There were 12 tribes of Israel, but they were not one nation yet. Samuel is used by God to unite the tribes into a nation. And we ask all the time, What am I here for? Do I have a purpose? And God is saying, I can work with you. The question is, do you want to work with God? Only God can give you eternal significance. Another question I think this story begs is, why did God give Hannah a son? What did she do to deserve a son? Again, in verse 20, it says, So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Now, many of you here are familiar with something called the Shema, something we recite here from time to time. It's from Deuteronomy 6, and it goes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. And the word for here in the hero Israel, the Hebrew word is Shema, Shema Israel. Well, Samuel's name comes from that word Shema. His name is Shema Uel. Samuel means heard of God. Heard of God. What did Hannah do to deserve a son? Nothing. She didn't do anything. God gave her a child as a gift. 
And we call that grace. She didn't do anything to deserve a child. God heard her and God showed grace to her, gave her a gift in the form of a son. When God hears, God acts. In Genesis, God heard the cry of Hagar for her son Ishmael and God acted. In Exodus, God heard the cries of the Israelites and God acted. In the book of Acts, God hears the prayers of Cornelius and God acts. When God hears, God acts. And when we think about God's grace, the first thing we think of is God's salvation. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins is God's ultimate example of his grace, his gift to us. And that is absolutely true. But God is a God of grace in all the areas of our lives. Our creation, our existence, our purpose, our blessings. God's grace gives us life. God's grace gives us family and friends. God's grace gives us work and play. There really isn't anything that we experience that isn't a part of God's grace. And just because life lets us down doesn't mean God isn't full of grace towards us. You see, sometimes even pain is a part of God's grace. Think of Hannah. The story starts, she's in anguish. But if it wasn't for her pain, she would never have offered her son back to God. And if it wasn't for her pain, Samuel never would have united the tribes of Israel into the nation of Israel. Sometimes even pain is a part of God's grace. God's grace doesn't keep us from all harm, but God's grace does get us through it. And God's grace to Hannah didn't end there. He gives her more children. 1 Samuel chapter 2, And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. How do you need to experience God's grace today? In what form do you need God to give you a gift today? The last question I think this story begs is, what is revealed about Hannah's character? Again, I said earlier that God is saying, I can work with you. I can work with you. And the question is, do you want to work with God? Hannah demonstrates what it is like to work with God. Verses 12 to 18 from the passage. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, she replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. See, Hannah was a person of persistence. She was a person of persistence. And if you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself, if you want to work with God, if you want to follow Jesus, you will need persistence. 
Think about the legends from the Bible, whether it's Old Testament legends like Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David, or New Testament legends like Peter, Paul, John, Mary, and even Jesus himself. They all needed to be people of persistence. Jesus even told a parable about it, where he says in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. Now we think that's annoying. We call that rude. We think it's rude. We think it's annoying. Jesus thinks that's persistence. Um, who here has ever heard of St. Augustine? Just raise your hand. St. Augustine. Okay, that's significantly more than the first service. Okay, it's good to know. In the fourth century, there was a woman, a mother, whose name was Monica. Monica had a son named Augustine. Monica was a devoted follower of Jesus. Her son, Augustine, was not. Now, he was brilliant. He was brilliant in his studies. Uh, he went on to become a very successful teacher. Um, but to his mother's dismay, he devoted himself to wild living with women, alcohol, all, all sorts of degrading behavior. Uh, he was a follower of a, a cult philosophy of the time. And it just broke Monica's heart. But Monica never stopped praying for her son. And she prayed for him each and every day. And at the age of 31, Augustine committed his life to Jesus Christ. Now, I can, I'm sure many of you are thinking, well, 31, that's pretty young. No, no, this is 4th century. At the age of 31 in the 4th century, that's pretty old then. You didn't live real long in the 4th century. So he devoted his life to Jesus Christ relatively later in his life. But he also devoted himself to service to the church. And he became a leader of the church. He became a bishop in a region called Hippo. And he devoted his brilliant mind to the study of God, to theology. And to this day, he is one of the greatest and most influential Christian theologians in history. You cannot do any kind of theological study without studying Augustine. Monica was persistent, and that's what it takes to work with God. The Christian church would never be the same because Monica never stopped praying for Augustine. In addition to being a person of persistence, Hannah was also a person of principle. She was a person of integrity. She made a promise to give back her son, and I don't think any of us here would blame her if she would have changed her mind. Verses 24 and 25, it says, After he, Samuel, was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. Now, Samuel would have been like two or three years old when she gave him away. 
And think about what that would have been like to give away your two or three-year-old child. For her to do that, it took a lot of faith, trust, but it also took a lot of integrity. And if we're going to work with God, it's going to be hard not to compromise. Maybe compromise because of even good things, maybe because of our families or our well-being, but it's also going to be tempting to compromise because of our temptations. You see, making an impact will mean maintaining our principles. Look, no one said working with God was easy. But Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if we are followers of Jesus, we believe that God continues to build his kingdom. And since Jesus died and rose again, the world has never been the same. Jesus' followers have been instruments of God's kingdom for 2,000 years. And for those who have come before us, it wasn't easy. They had to press on. They had to persist. They had to persevere. And in Jesus, God gave them eternal significance. Only God can give us eternal significance. And he is calling us to keep moving forward in our faith. And no matter what challenges lie before us, and I don't know, I don't know what the call of God looks like for each of us individually, but God is calling us. And we don't have to do this on our own. He will give us the grace to do whatever he calls us to do. But God wants to work through us. Are we willing to persevere? It's our turn. It's our turn to take up the mantle of faith and follow Jesus, to work with God, to bring God's kingdom here to the Magic Valley. Please pray with me. Lord, again, we thank you for your grace and goodness to us. And I pray that you would encourage us, give us the strength to persevere, to persist in our faith, and Lord, for those here in this room who are going through a really tough time right now, I ask that you would give them a sense of your comfort. And Lord, just ask that you would instill in our hearts that spirit, that sense of eternal significance of you using us to bring your kingdom here in the Magic Valley. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.